0: And we're on once again, coming at you from New Jersey, the capital of misery and the place where metal forgot to die. This is Here Lies Metal, the podcast that brings you the origins, history and culture of everything metal. I am Maledictus and I'll be your overlord for today and all of eternity. Welcome. Now, before we begin the podcast, I've decided to do the news these are a few stories that the metal media at large has been covering this week so if you haven't heard them already get ready for the maledictin spin on these metal stories in this continuing story about judas priest and the recent um retirement of founding guitarist glenn tipton K.K. Downing is apparently upset that he wasn't asked to replace Glenn Tipton in the band that he retired from almost 10 years ago. As you know, K.K. Downing had retired from Judas Priest in 2011 because he was old or something like that. I don't think there was any particular reason. Rob Halford fired back uh, against claims that parts of Tipton's tracks were laid down by producer Andy Seep, who I might have even said in last week's news. However, according to Rob Halford, these are false. Uh, here is a quote, two weeks after Tipton announced that he was retiring from the road due to his battle of Parkinson's disease, Downing released a statement in which he said that he was shocked and stunned that he wasn't approached to, to rejoin the band and suggested that Seep's contribution to the New Judas Priest record was much more than just a producer, being that he actually recorded most of Tipton's parts, which according to Rob Halford is not true. So here is a quote from Rob Halford So with regards to everything that was made in KK's statement today a lot of it to me is completely superfluous but at one point I would like to make and clarify this on record that it's insinuation that Andy Seek was governing for the guitar parts and firepower and I could categorically state that it's a thousand percent false because I was with Glenn for all of his guitar work and it worked really really hard imagine this guy in the 10th year of parkinson's i've never seen anyone brave in fact that every song was challenged for him to make work but he did consistently day after day it was just a very powerful thing to experience first hand. so as of now i think it's really just a bunch of people babbling on on twitter and that's what we get a lot of today we get a lot of um, rock stars just fighting with each other, and when there really isn't even a fight, you know, some guy says something, and all of the people, all of you crazy fans, take it the wrong way, and you're saying, "Oh, Rob Halford, what do you think about that?" When, uh, whereas KK Downing really wasn't trying to insult anyone in this particular exchange. But uh, there you have it. So Rob Halford claims that uh, Glenn Tipton actually laid down his own tracks. However, it still doesn't look like KK Downing is coming back to Judas Priest. Why he would want to, I don't know. I thought he retired. However, that's enough with that Judas Priest news. We'll keep you updated as the drama continues. And another story, this is a funny one. We all know Andrew WK. um, You know, he's not really metal, but he seems like a pretty cool all-around guy. I did an interview with him once. He's pretty down-to-earth for a guy that loves to party. And he loves pizza. And that's a great thing because on the Here Lies Metal podcast, if you come here and get on my other mic, I have a second mic here waiting for you to be on it. So if you're a metal expert or someone that's in a band that I want to hear from, However, I don't really do Skype interviews. I don't like Skype interviews or Google interviews. I just don't like the way they sound. I know a lot of fellow podcasters do those. I'm not interested in doing that. If you're going to be interviewed by me, I want you right here sitting next to me on a mic. And if you do that, whether you're a metal expert, a metal consultant, or someone that's in the metal scene, a musician, you will get free pizza. And speaking of free pizza, or pizza in general, Andrew W.K. is proud to announce... His very own party pizza. He is in a partnership with a Japanese pizzeria, yes, called Devilcraft. He is going to design or has designed a the spiciest slice of pizza ever and uses nine different types of pepper and of course unfortunately we cannot get this pizza here in america as it is only available in japan it is also a chicago style pizza if you're into that it's not a new york style pizza chicago is its own thing i'm not going to say it's incorrect pizza however it is not the same as new york pizza it's funny really giving the midwest credit for making a pizza however there were a lot of people of italian descent that moved to chicago so they do have some credibility in pizza you'll be surprised where you find pizza for all you pizza experts out there you will, you will be surprised that the New York area is not the only place for pizza. We found good pizza up in Connecticut. We found good pizza out in Pennsylvania. It's all out there. I even had pizza in the middle of New Mexico, and it wasn't good. But I think the worst pizza I ever had was in Austin, Texas, but that's typical. I mean, Texas. Texas isn't going to work. That's, that's not pizza land. You want Mexican food? Tex-Mex food? Texas is the place for you, not pizza. However, we uh, I'll bet you this Japanese slice is very good. So... We all hail Andrew W.K. for loving pizza and loving to party. And that makes him metal in a way, even if he's really just a clown on stage. He really has some metal credibility for the way he likes pizza and the way he likes to party. Let's move on. Maynard, we talked about Maynard last week about his um, tweets about lyrics on the new tour album. Apparently Maynard has deleted all these tweets regarding this new tour album, upsetting fans all over the world. So maybe Maynard was just fucking with us as he usually likes to do because he's a dick like that, and uh, so maybe there's no Tool album at all, and he was just fucking with us because that seems the kind of humor Maynard has, based on the kind of humor that Tool—they're their strange, uh, quirky, sophisticated humor that isn't actually funny. I actually put I put a post that I found online about Tool fans in the '90s on the Here Lies Metal Facebook, uh, Here Lies Metal at Facebook and uh, it's pretty funny about all the elements that make up a Tool fan in the 1990s. It just really brings back some memories about all the silly Tool people. All the people that you thought were going to shoot up the school, you know, like Tool. I did not like Tool. I mean, maybe that song was a little that claymation video. It was it was okay, but, you know, I wasn't replacing Metal. I wasn't going to take that over the Metal that was missing. And we're going to get into that in this episode on what happened to Metal in the 1990s because it's very significant in the thrash scene. In more news... Axel Rose called Melania Trump a former hooker and questioned her immigration status. You know how Axel used to get. I mean, he's a pretty loud kind of guy. I mean, you know, with Trump going around uh, with his ICE agents, you know, snatching, snatching up all these, any immigrant he could find, uh, legal or otherwise, uh, you know, Axel's like, well, what about you? You know, are you legal? Are you? Apparently she um, was given... Um, immigration status due to it, the Einstein visa, the EB1, which is known as the Einstein visa, which is for, is rarely um, issued. And it's to, it's for people or um, potential candidates that uh, demonstrate extraordinary ability for the sciences and the arts, you know, very, basically very educated people, which um, we believe that Melania Trump is a college dropout. So I don't think that would really apply to her. So maybe Axel has a point here, is uh, ridiculous as Axel has always been for his entire career, I mean, I don't really... I'm not really against Axel calling this out. I mean, it's obviously for Axel's attention. He likes attention. You know, he wants to stay relevant. That's fine. He's probably making a lot of money with all this Guns N' Roses business lately. But, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with Axel saying that. He's exercising his freedom of speech and he's calling out the shitty president. So... Anyway, we shouldn't get political on here. It's not really what Here Laz Metal is for. We do not get political here, but we know a lot of you guys feel the same way about that. And maybe you think Axel's silly, but you know, we'll support Axel on this particular tweet. Why does everyone tweet these days? That's I guess that's how people get around. Imagine, you know, if Axel had these tools available to him in nineteen in the nineteen nineties, during the height of his ridiculousness. I'd love to see that. However, you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see Metallica and Guns N' Roses do a tour again. I would like to see Axel Rose apologize to everyone and they would start the tour in Montreal, the stadium they almost fucked, the whole city they almost fucking burnt down, and do a free show for the people of Montreal, making up that show that Axel destroyed for everyone, where James Hetfield caught on fire and Axel decided he wasn't gonna play and, and a riot ensued. Axel should make it up to the people of Montreal, make it up to Metallica they should do the metallica guns and roses tour again that's what i would like to see from you axel rose i was there i was at the show i think that happened two shows before that at giant stadium and i didn't even stay for guns and roses because i knew they were going to pull their antics and apparently they did i think they went on stage a few hours late and then somebody threw a bottle of axel and he walked off stage it was a typical night for axel rose back then wherever metallica was on par as usual they were during the black album drunk but on par All right, and that is the news for today. We got a couple of stories for you, but let's move on to the podcast. And today's podcast, of course, is going to be part two of the Taken Out to Thrash East Coast Thrash Metal Extravaganza, the history and evolution of East Coast Thrash Metal, which we enjoyed last week. That episode was a little bit too long. Hopefully this episode goes a little smoother. I won't rant as much. However, I have a lot of facts. I have about 20 pages of notes for this particular episode, so it might... Might be a lot of words in it. However, all of these words are going to be useful words. And you're going to learn about the glory of West Coast thrash, which was, I found, far more interesting than the East Coast. Now, I'm not saying the East Coast is bad. The East Coast has some great bands, but the West Coast only has good bands. There are very few bands that are not good from the West Coast. It truly is the nexus of real thrash, and we have to give them credit. The West Coast wins this one, hands down. The East Coast, like I said, we had Overkill, we had Anthrax. We had Carnivore. We had bands like that. But however, we had M.O.D., SOD. But there's just, you can't count them with all your fingers and toes in the West Coast and all your appendages because they really ruled when it came to Thrash. It must be the weather. You know, the dismal, dingy weather around here. You think that would make for good metal? Maybe that makes for a different kind of metal. But Thrash, the upbeat, the fast, the aggressive... Maybe you need the sunny, nice weather. Maybe you need the subversion of uh, all the people that don't like you, all the pretty people that tend to be associated with that weather. Maybe you need them around to really make you angry. Maybe it's the nice weather and the nice environment that has a reverse effect on metal, right? It doesn't really take a dismal environment like New York or England. Maybe that's what we're on to. We'll discuss that later. So let's get on with the podcast. Before we start, we'd like to go out and thank our supporters of this podcast once again. And that's, of course, as usual, the great... Ma- metal master, the man that plays on 10 himself, the lead singer of the band, the men that play on 10. We'll tell you about that one day. That is Chris in Long Island. But we also like to thank Rich for giving me insights on the last episode, as he always does. You know, he usually has to be a contrarian about things, but that's why we love Rich. That's what he does. He's he is It's his job to challenge my narrative. So we love when you do that. We want more people out there to uh, challenge some of my... The, the things I say here, the alleged facts, the alternative facts that I might give you. And uh, give me your own facts about maybe your own experience with whatever I'm talking about, whatever subject and metal I'm talking about, or maybe I'm giving you an educational episode that doesn't have to do with music. Give me what you think out there. I want you to engage with me, maledicus at Here Lies Metal, and that is metal at gmail.com. Don't forget and contact us on, find us at Here Lies Metal at Facebook, because we have so many tools available to us today. To promote these things, we don't need a radio station. I'm here in my bedroom, sitting at a desk with a microphone in front of me, giving you, spilling out my heart to you, my love of metal, and finding facts for you, and giving you stories and telling you tales of metal. Imagine you could not do this uh, 20 years ago. You needed a radio studio, which costed millions of dollars. So we all have voices today. So let's take advantage of the the voices we have and how our voice could really get to all corners of the world if we really let it if we really do the right things to get it out there it's all up to us to promote these things don't cost a lot of money sometimes you have to be lucky but of course there's a lot of people doing this too so there's also a lot of noise however we all have the opportunity for people to notice us these days so we just have to rise above the noise and that's what we're trying to do here at here lies metal we're trying to make a show that's interesting to you and entertaining to you at the same time about metal so that's what i do here so i know there's other guys out there other parts of the world that do what i'm doing here and, but, you know, I'm doing it my way, and my way is like I'm having a conversation with you. I read you facts, but I also hang out with you, and I sometimes try to make corny jokes. That's what I do. I'm not a very funny guy, but I try. So, all right, so enough ranting. Let's get on with this podcast, which is the Here Lies Metal Taken Out the Thrash Part 2, the West Coast of Thrash Metal. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to the second half, or possibly third, of Taking Out the Thrash, the history and evolution of thrash metal. Now I say third, because this very well might be a third of a series, as opposed to the other half, as we might possibly do an episode on Euro Thrash, which is of course a very important scene, and Canadian Thrash, which is also very important to the scene, but I digress. This week, we travel to the west coast, and arguably the best coast, when it comes to thrash metal. With such a vast number of notable and influential bands in both mainstream and underground, from the early days to present, the warm weather, sunny skies, sunset beaches, and overall laid-back attitude might very well crush any theories that a cold, dismal, industrial wasteland environment like London or New York make the metal. It very well might be that the metal is an inevitable force that lives in all of us and deep within our own darkness and is trying to constantly escape through the power of music. Maybe with a picturesque backdrop, is simply a facade to the subversive reality of human nature, which exists universally. So let's once again, lace up those Reeboks, don those denim vests, bolster up those bullet belts, and pile into the rusty old Pontiac, cause we're headed west this time. So hang on as Maledictus takes you down the road of west coast thrash metal. Like the east coast, these denim clad dirt bombs were singing about violence, death, Satan, evil, crushing posers, and the obligatory oncoming nuclear war. However, in the west, the mostly metal blade driven scene under metal mogul Brian Slagle, arguably the Johnny Z of the West, and spread via tape trading, the way underground music got around before there was an internet. This would be the true nexus of the sound, both intensity and virtuosity. It would be the West Coast scene that would ignite the nuclear fires in most aggressive metal scenes and leave a worldwide fallout cloud that would contaminate metal for all future G-generations of metal mutants. Whether it was the roots of LA, or the Ground Zero Mushroom Cloud that gave birth to the thrash scene in San Francisco, or the outlying irradiated zones from the wastelands of Arizona to Texas, the West Coast Thrash Sound would blast metal into the next level, but only if it could avoid its own mutually assured destruction. Here we go, West Coast Thrash Metal. Let the playlist begin. Ladies and gentlemen, SLAYER! Yeah, that's how you say Slayer when you say Slayer. This is Slayer with Black Magic from the Show No Mercy album in 1983, their first album, the first true indicator of thrash, of real thrash, rather than kill them all from Metallica, I would say. Slayer was formed in 1981 by Kerry King, Jeff Hanneman, Dave Lombardo, and Tom Araya, the original lineup, and started by playing cover tunes of Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, believe it or not. How did they find this music? Well, this music obviously came from a major Venom influence, it's very clear. The band was spotted by Brian Slagle, who was a former music journalist who had recently formed the the label Metal Blade Records. You can consider Metal Blade Records sort of like the Megaforce Records of the West Coast. This is the label that powered the West Coast, thrash scene as Megaforce did in the East Coast. As a Big Four member, and in many ways normalized due to their aging and wealthier fans. They also won two Grammys, Slayer, yet still furious, never weakening their sound, maybe changing your sound, maybe they, got a, they went a little new metal for a bit, but Slayer always found their direction and always did it right. Sadly, Slayer will be the next band in the pantheon, the great pantheon of metal bands to call it quits this year. As a pioneer of the LA. thrash scene, they were in competition with the big hair metal scene that also came from LA. Slayer would be one of the first thrash bands to power the .LA metal scene and thrash scene. Slayer used to wear makeup, of course, as you probably know, but existed as sort of an inverted and opposite um, uh, embodiment of the hair metal scene. basically scared the fucking shit out of everyone despite the makeup. Um, perhaps Slayer. Possibly invented thrash as we know it real thrash people like to call Metallica thrash, but Slayer is real thrash Slayer were pioneers to the formation of death metal and black metal far beyond thrash Um, A bridge of death metal and thrash they kind of connected thrash to death metal You could say with chaotic solos from Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King and Dave Lombardo probably one of the best drummers ever to sit behind a drum kit in the metal world Slayer has a direct influence from bands like Venom, Violent and Satanic lyrics in the U.S. in 1983, like I said. We'll see Slayer in uh, Here Lies Metal, Essential Metal album soon, um, as they are Essential Metal. Despite their current mainstream and old man metal status, they still uphold thrash to this day, fucking Slayer forever. This next band is called Laz Rocket with Take No Prisoners from the City's Gonna Burn album in 1994. This is a San Francisco thrash band, one of the first you might say. Laz Rocket is a thrash metal band formed in San Francisco, California in 1982. Although one of the lesser known groups in the Bay Area thrash, where they sort of looked over, they came out in the early days and were kind of unfortunately looked over. However, they are quite legitimate. Um, each album in their career had received um, pretty good critical marks um one of their signature elements was um their ibanez guitars adorned with elaborate airbrushed scenes of warfare that's very not even man of war did that Laz rocket broke up in 1992 like many metal bands and came back together in 2005 like many other metal bands due to the great revival in metal um the band takes their name from the finale of the 1976 clint eastwood movie the enforcer involving the use of an m72 lol rocket I don't know why they call it, Laz Rocket, Law Rocket, Laz Rocket. Either way, that was Clint Eastwood trying to really upstage Charles Bronson by shoot blowing some shit up with a bazooka. Um, nevertheless, um, if you want action movies, Here Lies Metal is a place to go. Let's move on. This next band is called Omen with The Axeman from the Battle Cry album. They are from Los Angeles, California, and Los Angeles is a very different place. Um, You could say the first thrash might have come from Los Angeles, though it was a little bit more metal, a little bit closer to the New Wave British heavy metal era than going on true thrash. I love this intro. The Axemen! This band was formed in Los Angeles, California in 1983 by lead guitarist Kenny Powell. um, Previously with the band Savage Grace and signed to Metal Blade Records with Brian Slagle, naturally. Um, this was their first album in 1984 called Battle Cry. A little bit more metal than thrash, however, equally a pioneer of thrash to come. Uh, currently, o- Omen has released seven studio albums worldwide and a 20th anniversary box set. Omen never fell in the early 90s with many metal bands. They have continued to exist from 1983 to today. So you got to give credit to Omen for doing what they believe, keeping the metal alive. Like I said before, more of a power metal band than a thrash band. The L.A. scene was a little closer to the hair metal thing, you could say, and to the new wave British heavy metal thing, as opposed to pure thrash, which would eventually really rise in San Francisco in the near future. As you can see, most of these bands are coming from Los Angeles in the early days, and that's what we're covering right now, the early days of thrash in the early 80s before it really hit. Hyrax with demon Evil Forces. Hyrax is really one of the great bands from LA that would really inspire True Thrash in San Francisco to come. Of course, like many early thrash metal bands, they were assigned to Brian Slagle's Metal Blade Records and had their first full-length album titled Raging Violence in 1985, the year that thrash really broke. Tensions eventually destroyed Hyrax, Um, before the great crash of metal in the late 80s, during the height of metal, actually. Yet charismatic frontman Caton W.D. Pena was not done with thrash metal yet, no sir. He formed a new band featuring Gene Hoagland, you all know him, formerly of Dark Angel, and Ron McGovney, who used to be in Metallica, if you remember the very old days, called themselves Phantasm, and released a six-track demo uh, in 1988. However, it didn't really go anywhere, And they toured with nuclear assault and they broke up in 89 after DePena actually left and was replaced by Paul Bailoff. What an incestual scene the the thrash metal scene in the West Coast was, uh, more so in the East Coast, I would say. Hyrax, like many bands in the early 2000s, reunited in 2003 after a specific event, which I'm going to tell you about, um, that caused the the resurgence and rebirth of metal in the early new century, but we'll get into that. Uh, And they released a new album called The New Age of Terror in 1984. So, Hyrax is still, of course, with us today, thankfully, as a result. So, this is Hyrax once again with Demons Evil Forces. This next group is called Agent Steel with their song Taken by Force from the Skeptics Apocalypse album. Also, it's 1985 and these guys are from LA, like most thrash bands back in that day. San Francisco hasn't really happened yet. They were a short lived band that only released two full length albums and disbanded in 1988. They're most notable for crazy singer John Sirius's high pitched vocals, catchy songs, a lot of riffs, and fast tempos mixed with their unusual um, obsession with UFOs and conspiracy theories. It makes for a fun band, almost like the Alex Jones of metal, I suppose. The band, of course, reformed in 1999 without a singer and released a couple of full of albums since. Vocalist John Cyrus had nothing to do with this reunion and has moved on to be some sort of philosophical UFO enthusiast. We're not sure really where he's gone or if this band still exists today due to the great revival in metal like many bands would, which is a great thing So, agent Steel with Taken by Force. This next band gets thrash credit. This is Metal Church with In The Blood from their self-titled album, debut album, Metal Church. They are from San Francisco and the year is 1985. Um, they are been credited with a serious influence on thrash metal, um, building the aesthetics with a lot of new wave British heavy metal sounds still in Metal Church, which give them a lot of respect. Bless. Uh, aggressive thrash sound coming from this band very clearly they're, they're maybe at the low spectrum of thrash a little bit closer to the more classic sound you might say came from san francisco and were formed by kurt vanderhoff and he formed the band 1980 with various other musicians including a brief audition with metallica drummer lars ehrlich like lars ehrlich they would break up in 1994 due to the 90s Reunite in the late 90s and break up again in 2008 and then come back again in 2014. So this century has kept them alive and they are still making albums to this day. This is Metal Church with In The Blood, Thrash Pioneers from San Francisco. That, of course, concludes the early days of Thrash mostly in the Los Angeles scene. We are now in the mid-80s into the late 80s, which were the golden age of thrash, when you would see the most thrash bands happening, and thrash be at its most popular, um, of course, until these days, modern day, which it is probably almost just as popular in the mainstream. This, of course, is Flotsam and Jetsam with Desecrator from the Doomsday for the Deceiver album. They are from Arizona, and were. and this album is from 1986. They're also notable for featuring the bass player, future Metallica bassist, in this particular album, this song, Jason Newsted, who left the band shortly after this release um, of their debut album, which is this album, to join Metallica after Cliff Burton's death. Plotsam and Jetsam was part of the small but very effective Arizona thrash metal scene. Um, They released 12 studio albums in their career, with their latest album dropping in 2016, with um, a self-title called Flotsam and Jetsam, because it's a way to reinvent yourself. Flotsam and Jetsam survived the great metal crash of the 90s and still is around today. Once again, this is Desecrator from Flotsam and Jetsam. This next band is called The Possessed, and this song is called Beyond the Gates, from the Beyond the Gates album, their second album. They are from San Francisco, and this album dropped in 1986. Um, You could say Possessed was a precursor to death metal. They are another bridge band from thrash metal to death metal to the death metal of the Florida scene, which we will get into another time. Of course, they are most known for their fast style of musicianship and guttural vocals of Jeff Pacara. They routinely were called the first band in the death metal genre, which I don't necessarily agree with. That might have came from, there might be some European credits to that, but however, these guys are a major influence on death metal that would take over with Rash Metal Left Off, especially in the 1990s. These guys broke up in 1987, so they were very short-lived. However, interesting fact, they featured Larry Lalonde, who would eventually go on to be in Primus on guitars. Very funny little fact. These guys were a very short-lived band, unfortunately, possessed with Beyond the Gates. Now here we finally have some crossover. This is Cryptic Slaughter with Nuclear Future. What a perfect name for a thrash song from the Convicted album. These guys are from LA, a lot of crossover thrash from LA in 1986. Um, I like to say there's a lot of genres of thrash, but I think there are really only two, crossover and non-crossover. This of course is crossover. Cryptic Slatter are often credited as one of the progenitors of True Crossover, like many LA bands and a few bands on the East Coast. Um, it's sort of hardcore and thrash metal together. It makes crossover um, along with bands like DRI and Corrosion of Conformity and of course suicidal Tendencies, which might occur soon on this particular playlist. This is True Crossover with a very hardcore sound, a very thrash sound. So a lot of fast music here very aggressive very primitive um as you can see there's isn't too much virtuosity in this particular music where a lot of the bands are full of solos and very complicated riffs and an ungodly amount of riffs in song almost to the level of prog rock these guys are keeping it simple for 1986 when thrash all around them is thriving complicated and aggressive thrash more metal-like thrash is thriving around these guys these guys are keeping it simple this is cryptic slaughter with nuclear future this next band is called Sacred Reich. I used to get these guys mixed up with Death Angel for some reason. I don't know why. There's no reason for it. This is the song "Death Squad" from the Ignorance album in 1987. These guys are from Phoenix, Arizona. They were formed in 1985 by singer-songwriter Phil Rind. In social. They have a lot more lyrics about socially conscious and political subjects as opposed to maybe like satanic or such things like that, or nuclear weapons. Um, they were of course signed to Metal Blade Records, like many a thrash band. Um, former drummer of this band, Dave McCain, went on to join Machine Head in 1975, and we'll talk about them soon. Sega Robotics has been credited along with Testament, Destruction, Death Angel, and Dark Angel leading the second wave of thrash metal which would of course take place in the late 80s the golden age of thrash metal I like to call it the true age of real thrash metal of course this song like many thrash songs will go for a very long time without actually getting to the first verse I think a lot of thrash songs back then especially during the golden age would pretty much go through the song once without giving you any words because it was about the music and And of course, Sacred Reich was no different. Um, They were interested in playing very well and giving us a political message. They were a very political band, Sacred Reich. Of course, they were from the faraway wastelands of Phoenix, Arizona, as opposed to San Francisco or Los Angeles. Nevertheless, they are bringing the thrash sound to the world. Nevertheless, being from these faraway places, Sacred Reich with Death Squad from the Ignorance album. This is suicidal tendencies with war inside my head from the join the al join the army album. They are from L.A. and this album came out in 1987. This is crossover thrash. These guys were formed in 1980 in Venice, California, by vocalist Mike Mirror, who is the only remaining member of this band. This band has gone through many lineup changes, along with uh, bands like DRI and SOD. They are often credited as one of the fathers of crossover thrash metal, which is probably very true. This is their, from their second album, Join the Army, 1987. Suicide and Tendencies were signed to Epic Records. This is a major record label, not one of the usual um, thrash labels like Metal Blade. Um, they continued their success with three more albums, and these guys would be on MTV from their very earliest days. Nevertheless, they never lost respect from their fans. Their first album was considered more hardcore punk, and bands well-known for combining elements of heavy metal and thrash, eventually funk and punk rock, and even alternative. These guys were very eclectic, you might say. Um, Of course, they featured future Metallica bassist Robert Trujillo, who would be in these guys, probably for late 80s to the early 90s. I remember seeing these guys with Robert Trujillo playing when they opened for Metallica in 1994. Very interesting story. I would say no band broke up and reunited more than Suicidal Tendencies, (laughs) quite a lot. Currently, former Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo plays for these guys, Suicidal Tendencies with Warrens on my head. This next band is called Uncle Slam. Um, with their song The Ugly Dude from the Say Uncle album. They are from LA and this song was made in 1988 during the high point of thrash, metal, and crossover. They were formed in 1984 under the name The Brood and were influenced by punk rock bands of the 80s, like Suicidal Tendencies as we heard before. And they even featured some members of Uncle Slam at some point in their career since they made, they went through so many lineup changes like nearly every band on this list, they broke up in 1985, but in 2010, they released, they re-released their 1988 album, Say Uncle, um, on CD for the first time. So this album was one of those lost albums of the thrash era, and here at Here Lives Metal, we are bringing it back to you. So once again, this is Uncle Slam with The Ugly Dude, forgotten crossover band from Los Angeles of the 1980s. 80s. This next band is called Sadis with their song Undead from 1988. They are from San Francisco. Like many bands on this list, many of them are reforming in recent years due to their great thrash metal revival um, and due to fans, due to old man fans that have jobs and families now. Originally a quartet, they are known for their unique borderline death and black metal growling from vocalist Darren Travis and speeding up thrash metal to levels previously unheard of with the help of bassist Steve DiGiorgio. Uh-oh, we know who he is. This is where Steve DiGiorgio came from. Like I said, this incestual thrash metal scene of San Francisco. Steve DiGiorgio is currently in Testament. He's been in all kinds of bands. He was in Death and... His bass lines truly push the limits of this genre. Thank you to Steve DiGiorgio for really making the scene. Span currently exists today with all original members and is working on new material with Steve DiGiorgio. So he is perhaps taking a break from his tour with Testament and bringing back Sadis, his original band, some true thrash death metal thrash. This is what I like to call death thrash. This is on the bridge. This is bridging the gap of thrash and the Florida death metal scene. And why not? Because Steve DiGiorgio would go on to the Florida death metal scene after the crash of Thrash, to the band, to Chuck Schuldiner's death, who we all know, which we'll get into another time. We'll do perhaps a whole episode on the Florida death metal scene, which is very close to Thrash, only happened in a different sunny place like Florida. Say this with Undead. From Texas, we have rigor mortis it's tough to be a mortis the rigors of being a mortis okay this song is called wizard of gore from their album self-titled "Rigor mortis they're from texas and this album came out 1988 it was formed by harden harrison and casey orr and we'll find out who he is later um based on the name of the song these guys were into horror films and heavy music perfect name rigor mortis wizard of gore They were signed to Capitol Records on their first release, and not, uh, astonishingly, not one of the smaller labels. That's because the big labels had a lot of faith in these thrash bands at the time in 1988. Featuring future Guar Beefcake the Mighty, KC Orr, who would be one of many Beefcake the Mighties in the band Guar. Sadly, in 2012, founding member Mike Statia died from a heart attack while performing on stage. Kind of still with us today, Rigor Mortis came out with an album in 2012, and did it so by crowdfunding $22,000 to make the album happen, circumventing the shitty process of being signed by a record label. So one case where the people beat the record labels, rigor mortis with Wizard of Gore. This of course is Death Angel with Bored from the Frolic on the Park album from 1988. They are from San Francisco and they are real thrash metal. They're also referred They're usually referred to as one of the key bands in the Bay Area thrash metal movement and of the golden age of thrash metal in San Francisco. Um, following the underground success of their first two albums, including this album, they were eventually signed to Geffen Records. Of course, the big labels were picking up all the thrash bands in the late 80s, and they released a new album, Act Three. However, they were tragically ended by a debilitating bus accident that seriously injured their drummer, who could no longer play, and therefore they could not fulfill the um, the contract that was signed, and they had to break up. Coincidentally, this was Cliff Burton's favorite band, and of course he died the same way, which is kind of creepy. They began as teenagers in 1981 with amazing talent. Some of them were only 12. Their first demo was actually produced by Metallica's Kirk Hammett. This particular song found heavy airplay on heavy metal stations at the time and MTV's Headbangers Ball. Like I said before, these guys broke up in 1991. Some of Death Angel's remaining members would go on to form a band called The Organization in order to survive in the 1990s and went with a different sound of funk and more alternative rather than metal. However, like many great thrash bands, they officially reunited in 2001 at the Great Thrash of the Titans show, which we will explain soon because it was a pivotal point in the reformation of thrash in the new century. Death Angel is still with us today and still making albums. All thanks to the great Chuck Billy. More details later. This next song is called March Into The Fire by the short-lived Forbidden. They were a thrash metal band from the San Francisco area formed in 1985 as Forbidden Evil with a shortener name. They were founded by a guy named Russ Anderson and Craig Locasiero and Rob Flynn, whose name will come up a lot in the future of metal. They were one of the most successful Bay Area thrash bands and earned a loyal fan base in the underground music community and got some pretty good critical acclaim with their album Forbidden Evil in 1988, it regarded as by critics as a classic metal album with their follow-up twisted into form and something, in, something of a masterpiece within the tech thrash scene. These guys were obviously very progressive with their particular brand of metal this band like many others would reform in what we knew as the great thrash revival of the century at a certain event which we will talk about again future slayer drummer paul Bostaff would also come from forbidden believe it or not the san francisco bay area was especially incestual with members um in almost a sort of british prog rock kind of way we'll go over that one day how incestual British prog rock was. However, Band Forbidden would provide a lot of influence to the entire thrash scene, Forbidden with March into the Fire. Very close to Forbidden was a band called Violence, with this famous song, if you probably remember it, Serial Killer, from the the iconic Endless Nightmare album from 1988. Violence, of course, was from San Francisco reformed in 1985. Um, the most stable lineup was with Phil Dremel and Rob Flynn. Again, this name keeps coming up. He was on guitar. Rob would go on to famously form the 90s metal survivors, Machine Head. Not really Thrash, but nevertheless significant in the metal world, whether you like them or not. This is another band that would reform as a part of the tribute to Testament's Chuck Billy's benefit. On Thrash of the Titans but in 2001, this benefit for Chuck Billy might be one of the single most important events that began the great thrash metal revival. And we'll talk about it more later, as I keep mentioning it, as many defunct thrash bands showed up in support of the great Chuck Billy. Despite all the great thrash bands coming back together on that day in 2001, violence were unfortunately um, experienced only a temporary reunion that would go on for a few years. However, we were all happy to see them back. Of course, this did not include Rob Flynn, who was busy with Machine Head, Nevertheless, violence, great thrash band with Serial Killer. You are now entering the Thrash Zone. This is DRI with Beneath the Wheel from the Thrash Zone album. DRI, or Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, is a crossover band from Houston, Texas, and they formed in 1982. The band is currently composed of its two founding members, vocalist Kurt Brecht and guitarist Spike Cassidy. And I like to consider these guys the ultimate high point of the Golden Age of Thrash. This was like the Anthem I remember back then. They, of course, were a part of the rare but very effective Texas Thrash Metal scene along with Rigor Mortis. They very well might have invented the term crossover as it was the name of their second release. And of course they were a major proponent of the crossover scene along with SOD and suicidal tendencies. Like I said before, I like genres and I like subgenres and I like microgenres. But however, in thrash, I mentioned a lot of genres before. However, there might be only two genres in thrash, crossover or non-crossover. That's what I really boiled it down to recently. There's no doubt that TRI has influenced many other thrash bands such as other bands mentioned here before, like Cryptic Slaughter and Dark Angel, and other bands from the East, like Nuclear Assault and Municipal Waste, for sure. And like strong bands like Overkill in the East, um, DRI did not fall to the 90s. They just simply kept playing through. They didn't release any albums in the 90s. However, they continued to exist. DRI would unite the thrashers and the punks in their notorious shows. They were the bridge between punk and metal you might say DRI with beneath the wheel this is probably one of the most important bands in the history of West Coast thrash and the San Francisco scene this of course is Exodus with the toxic waltz from their fabulous disaster album Exodus got its start in 1979 and one of their founding members was of course the famous Kirk Hammett who would go on to be in Metallica after Dave Mustaine drank too much and was kicked out the Famous Gary Holt, future Slayer replacement for the late Jeff Hanneman, would actually replace Kirk Hammett after he joined Metallica. After touring for their first album, Bonded for Blood, was complete, um, infamous singer Paul Bailoff was fired from the band for allegedly his behavior related to alcohol and substance use and partying too hard, as Paul Bailoff was notorious for. He was replaced, of course, by current singer Steve Zetro-Souza, who was the original lead vocalist for a band called Legacy, which was an early incarnation of fellow Bay Area thrashers' Testament. Fabulous Disaster, which this song is located on, would be one of their most famous albums. It's their third release and got heavy radio airplay and was featured on MTV's Headbangers Ball on a regular basis. I remember it. The band, like many, would fall victim to the great metal crash 1994, but would reform during Chuck Billy's famous benefit concert like many other great thrash bands, Exodus with the Toxic Waltz. This song comes with its own dance even. Next, we have other famous Bay Area thrashers that deserve all the credit in the world. Testament with Practice What You Preach, a very famous song for 1989. These guys, of course, were formed under the name Legacy in 1983 by Eric Peterson, who is still in the band today. Soon they would recruit um, super guitarist, super eclectic guitarist, Alex Skolnick, who actually studied with famous other Bay Area guitar virtuosos, Joe Satriani, who would teach many Bay Area guitarists how to actually play. As mentioned before, Steve Souza would eventually quit the band, Legacy, to join Exodus and suggest Chuck, the famous Chuck Billy, to replace him on lead vocals, which could not have been a better decision. And of course changed their name to Testament due to the advice of famous crossover thrasher from the East Coast, Billy Milano of all people. Unlike many of their peers, Testament continued to soldier on during the 1990s and possibly take credit for the great metal revival of the next century with the famous concert for Chuck Billy's benefit. The thrash of the titans as you know chuck billy was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer in the late 1990s and this benefit was for his survival through the power of metal chuck billy is still with us today and through the power of chuck billy metal is still with us today all hail this next band is called dark angel with never rise again they are from los angeles california and they were formed in 1981 They are known for their over-the-top style, extremely fast and heavy, lengthy, progressive-like songs with a lot of tempo changes, a lot of lyrics, and extended instrumental solos. Earned them the nickname, this style earned the nickname, the L.A. Caffeine Machine. This is hectic metal for hectic people. They are also notable for featuring drummer Gene Hoagland, famous drummer who is currently in Testament who has been a member of Dark Angel since 1984 when they formed and to their initial breakup in the great crash of thrash metal in 1992. He played in several notable other bands like Death and Strapping Young Lad and even Fear Factory. And like I said before, he is recently in Testament. This band would reunite due to the thrash of the Titans benefit temporarily, but would form again in 2014. You can't keep a good band down. Yet another band that Gene Hoagland has to be in. What a great drummer, Gene Hoagland. And thanks again to the great thrash of the Titans that this band is with us today, Dark Angel. We are now moving into the 1990s and the end of thrash would be near. There was a famous concert in the early 1990s and I remember it clearly. It was called The Clash of the Titans. I remember it because I was not allowed to go to it. I was too young. The Clash of the Titans featuring the big three. That would be the biggest thing that ever happened to Thrash. Ironically, it would introduce an opening band that would usher in a new era of grunge. And that, of course, was Alice in Chains. They were there as a result of Death Angels turning down this major gig due to, of course, that terrible and tragic bus accident that they survived. Fortunately, they survived, however, it did end their band for the time being. Was this the history-changing event that would cause the great metal crash of the 1990s? Doubtful, but it is a major factor. And like I said before, when anything gets too big and loses sight of the rock and roll, the end is always near and true rock and roll returns with Avengers to bite you in the ass. there of Grunge would instantly put an end to the thrash scene overnight. Ironically, many grunge bands that got their start opening for thrash bands, such as Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, did not return the favor when they came out on top. So it was kind of one-sided. Many previously iconic metal bands disappeared overnight. All three of the Clash of the Titans bands would survive the 90s, but would struggle for the remainder of the decade, even Slayer. It was bands like Pantera and Machine Head that would keep the fire burning, especially Pantera, who would be topping the charts in the 1990s with a very heavy and aggressive sound. These bands would usher in a new era of new metal in the late 1990s. Florida's death metal scene was also thriving in the underground, which we'll get into in another episode. These next few bands will be the few and far between notable acts throughout the 1990s, and of course they will represent the change of music in the 1990s. Here we go with the third part of the playlist. Relax, it's the 90s, the fall of thrash. This next band is called Sanctuary. They are a very different kind of thrash band. They are from Seattle, Washington. Go figure, it's the 90s. And this song is called One More Murder from the Into the Mirror Black album. They had a very new 90s metal sound, almost like Queensryche in a way. This album was produced by, believe it or not, Dave Mustaine of Megadeth fame. However, this great band would be very short-lived and was actually literally killed off by grunge as their major label, Epic Records, wanted them to go for a more grunge sound, they refused. Therefore, they were destroyed as quickly as they came. Sanctuary was formed in the late 80s and had one album preceding Into the Mirror Black. Founding members, Warwell Dane, Jim Shepard, and Jeff Loomis would go on to form the famous band, Nevermore, in 1992. Sanctuary would reform in 2010, and I was fortunate enough to see them open for Overkill Two years ago. Unfortunately, founding vocalist Worrell Dane died in 2017 during the production of his second solo album. Due to Worrell's death, the band will be calling it quits this year unfortunately, so we bid farewell to this great band, Sanctuary. This next song is from a band called Heathen and titled Fear of the Unknown from their Victims of Deception album in 1991. They, of course, were founded in 1984 by famous guitarist Lee Altus, who is now currently in Exodus. Like I said before, a very incestuous scene in San Francisco, which turned out to be very useful in this case. Heathen, of course, was a very short-lived band with only two studio releases during their height from 1987 to 1993. They, of course, like many, a thrash band would fall victim to the great thrash crash of the 1990s due mostly to grunge music and of course following the great historical event the clash of the titans which of course as we discussed before signaled the beginning of the end to thrash music this is of course their second release titled victims of deception they would break up in 1993 however they would reform thanks of course again to chuck billy's benefit concert the thrash of the titans um this event of course would lead to the reformation of many a famous san francisco thrash band thankfully we don't thank the fact that chuck billy got cancer however we do thank this benefit show for saving chuck billy and thrash metal as we know it and reviving thrash metal of course leading to the formation of many more thrash bands of the new century during the great thrash revival of the new century This reunion would eventually lead to a new album titled The Evolution of Chaos. So this is a great example of a famous Bay Area thrash band of the golden age of thrash music to reform in the new golden age of revivalist thrash that we so love today. Hey, speaking of incestual, looks like Paul Bailoff was actually in this band too at one point. Everyone in San Francisco knows everyone. What a great scene. This once again is Heathen with Fear of the Unknown. This next band I must actually apologize for because it is not Thrash. However, it is Bay Area. And of course it is the direct result of Thrash. And it is what a lot of Thrash might have turned into in the 1990s in order to survive. This of course is Machine Head with none but my own from their debut album, Burn My Eyes, in 1984. Now, like we mentioned before, this band was formed in 1991 by vocalist and guitarist Rob Flynn and bassist Adam Deuce. The band's aggressive musicianship made them one of the pioneering bands in this new wave of American metal that would take over in the 1990s. As we know, Robert Flynn was in the famous band Violence, who were a very legitimate thrash band, so we have to give Rob Flynn credit for that. Machine Head would be a prime indicator of where popular metal would be headed in the 1990s. They were in a lot of ways similar to Pantera, but with a different sound like Pantera with a more of a groove metal tone as opposed to a thrash metal tone. But I think Pantera was a little more faster than these guys generally. Bands like Machine Head, and of course I mentioned before, Pantera would rule metal in the 1990s along with remaining Bohemoth Metallica. Machine Head of course still exists to this day. Machine Head with None But My Own. But all this would return in a little over 10 years, at a concert for the benefit of Testament's legendary Chuck Billy, who was diagnosed with cancer. This was called the Thrash of the Titans. Thrash ended with the Clash of the Titans. It came back with the Thrash of the Titans, thank of course to Chuck Billy. This event would revive many of the sleeping Thrash bands that had found their demise in the early 1990s. And of course it would form many new thrash bands. It would entice the formation of many new thrash bands that would go on to be icons and holding up the thrash scene today. That's what we need, we need new bands making new music. And this very event helped with that. I also think that the great thrash resurgence of the last 10 years might have come as a reaction to the resurgent scenes and their perceived Sophistications Thrash allows us to be ourselves musically. It keeps it simple unless of course you're one of those crazy guitar players that plays solos a million miles per hour. But it's the same way the original concept of rock and roll was intended. It also serves as the perfect and quite literal outlet to your daily frustrations. So maybe thrash on forever. Ah, we've survived the 90s in one piece, or maybe pieces. Some of us made it through, some of us didn't. But the good news is, many of us will be resurrected from the dead. And what better band to resurrect us from the dead but Ghoul from the Bay Area, of course. This song is called Maniacs from their Maniacs album. Ghoul can be considered like a younger, more energetic, more creative Guar, on a shoestring budget with way heavier and more interesting songs. With names of members such as Cremator, Formentor, Digester, and Dissector, they claim to be mutants that come from a place called Creepsylvania. similar Guar story, but just a little more down to earth, I would say. They feature onstage costume characters such as Killbot and Commandant Janusz Dobrokin and Krogar the Destructor with a very sort of budgeted like guar show that's actually almost better than a guar show and more exciting than a guar show these days but it's great to know that a new band is keeping the guar torch burning this once again is cool with maniacs this next song is called shoot to kill by warbringer a thrash metal band from Los Angeles formed in 2004 believe it or not one of the nexuses of the new thrash revivalist scene is actually in Los Angeles. A local thrash revival scene started expanding and growing around the LA area thanks to word of mouth organic promotion and social networking sites, the new tape trading of today. And of course, a lot of young promoters began booking shows in exclusively traditional metal bands. This band went through a lot of lineup changes for being such a recent band, believe it or not. However, they are keeping the sound true from the old days. Um, and they're doing it very well. So once again, this is Warbringer from Los Angeles with Shoot to Kill. And of course, what a perfect thrash theme. It's almost like an action movie. It's almost like a Charles Bronson film or something like that. And the album is called War Without End. Another perfect thrash theme. Warbringer. This next band is from a place that was not necessarily known for its heavy music scene at the time. Of course, you can imagine there's a lot of heavy metal bands coming from Portland, Oregon right now since it's sort of a hipster nexus of irony. This, of course, is Toxic Holocaust with Thrashing Death from the Hell on Earth album released in 2013. Vocalist and everythingist. Member Joel Grind founded Toxic Holocaust in 1999. He originally wrote and recorded all of the band's music himself and hired touring musicians. This is what really, this is when you have no friends and you're making metal anyway. Sometimes I feel like I have to do that. Uh, This album, like many bands on the list, features um, artwork by. Ed Repka, and we haven't mentioned him this time, but he's also responsible for a lot of album covers on this playlist. But once again, this is the great Toxic Holocaust, keeping Thrash real from Portland, Oregon, with Thrashing Death. This next band is from a place where Thrash Metal has possibly never gone or never came from. You decide they are called Havoc. What a cool intro. Hold on, let's listen to this intro. They haven't done intros like this in a while. It's 5 o'clock. And here's what we want you to think. These guys are one of those conspiracy theorist bands. Pretty good. Havoc with Intention to Deceive from the Conformicide album. They are from Denver, Colorado, a place where the air is thin and the thrash is thick. Havoc, of course, have been making their rounds recently, opening for a number of well-established thrash bands as they are a major part of this great thrash revivalist era. Starting in the early part of the century, going all the way on to today. These guys, of course, have also featured artwork from Ed Repka, wonderfully. Um, Sadly, founding member of this band, uh, Sean Chavez, died at the age of 30 in 2015, unfortunately. However, the band has continued to thrash on without end as they are one of the bands, one of the great bands holding up this new great thrash scene in the new century havoc with intention to deceive and this next band of course is one of my favorite thrash bands today they are from the faraway land of texas dallas texas that is they were formed in 2008 and they are doing it good this band is called power trip with executioner's tax from their latest album Nightmare Logic released in 2017 they are assigned to the rather eclectic Southern Lord Records who signs things from Doom Bands to Magma uh, and this is a great example of modern crossover thrash with a very killer song I had the opportunity to see Power Trip open actually headline for Iron Reagan* and um It was a pretty awesome and rough show where I got my glasses smashed off of my face. I know, who would wear glasses in a mosh pit? I know, I was also photographing the show. So I almost got my camera smashed many times, but it was well worth it because this band is amazing. Power trip from Texas with Executioner's Tax. Now, we are coming to the end of this podcast. We have covered a long, we have covered over 30 years of thrash metal on the West Coast, and as you can see, um, some of these songs are great standards in the world of thrash all over the world both east and west coast there are far more standards coming to west coast than the east of course because the west is the best when it comes to thrash on another note you're probably all wondering why I refused to mention Metallica or Megadeth anywhere in this show and I'll give you the brief answer on that because obviously we might have to do an entire show on why Metallica and Megadeth are not thrash, but I'll give you the brief. Now, being that they are considered part of the big four of thrash metal and major players in the West Coast scene, you haven't heard me say their names once. And I'll say it one more time. Metallica and Megadeth are not thrash. There you go. I said it. They are both a MAJOR influence on all of these bands we mentioned today, and, of course, a major influence on many forms of metal to follow. In a way, you might consider bands like Metallica and Megadeth to Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple of today. They lasted a lot longer, in a way, and are just as iconic. However, they are a major influence on music as a result, a major influence on metal, however, Both these bands may have written a few tracks in their vast catalogs that might have thrash-like elements. I would admit that Metallica has a few debatable thrash songs from Ride Lightning um, all the way up to the Black album, their first five albums. And Megadeth, uh, releasing their debut album in 1985, the same year that most influential thrash bands did the same. Uh, These legendary bands who will both be honored without a doubt in the great pantheon of essential metal albums on this very podcast are not thrash i assure you there will be an episode on this subject like i said and seems like a rather controversial topic but we will have to get into this into detail it will take a whole hour episode to explain why megadeth and metallica are not thrash and therefore were not mentioned on this episode of course they were influences we could have mentioned them as influences like we did in the last episode we had included a metallica song one of the reasons why they don't really have the street credibility of a thrash band. Metallica was playing arenas almost since the very early days. Megadeth as well. They were bands that really went right for the top. And when you're playing arenas already, you your songs are not designed for the street. You're not designed the same way Exodus and Testament are designed. They were designed to place much smaller clubs or to open for bigger bands. Or even bands like Anthrax, which stayed true. Of the big four metal bands you could say it's a very top-heavy scale where metallic at the top is of course almost tipping this big four monolith over with their excessiveness however the two bands who are on the bottom and making a very strong base to this big four of course Slayer and Anthrax who are true thrash bands even to this day of course Anthrax is much has always been a much more light-hearted thrash band nevertheless they are a thrash band Whereas bands like Metallica and Megadeth, their songs might be a little too complex to really be thrash, especially Megadeth. I have to give Megadeth for being one of the most virtuosic bands ever to really play. Dave Mustaine is, of course, a phenomenal guitar player, and he's more than a thrasher. He is beyond that. He's sort of like this glowing entity in the world of metal music and a little bit too sophisticated um to be thrash and of course Megadeth has always Dave Mustaine has always surrounded himself with the best musicians since their very first album of course having their best lineup under the Rust in Peace album uh featuring Nick Menza and Marty Friedman who you just really can't call that thrash it's just too good it's pro- you want to call it thrash it's fucking progressive thrash okay people it's just too damn good and Metallica of course how can we really call them thrash we have a few thrash songs they like the song Trapped Under Ice that's a little bit thrashy right but, you know, and you could even go all the way up to the Black Album, Holier Than That. That's a little, that song's a little bit thrashy, but it's Metallica, so it kind of takes the thrash out of it. It takes the street out of that sound. They simply don't have any street in their sound, whereas a band like Exodus has a lot of street in their sound. You could feel the dirt. You could feel the pavement. I've never really felt any dirt in a Metallica song. It's a very hard thing to explain, I would imagine, why Metallica isn't thrash. I mean, you could just go for the simple answer and be like, oh, I hear all the elements of thrash in this song. But... It's a little bit more than that, right? So that is why Metallica and Mechadeth were not mentioned in this podcast. However, I'm telling you why and I'm explaining to you why. Hey, if you have any questions or comments about this, if you want to fight me on this, please, here lies metal at gmail.com. Contact me and tell me why you think Metallica or Megadeth should be considered thrash. Or if you hate them and you're like, don't even ever put them near even metal, I hate them so much. Well, you can hate them all you want, but they, of course, are in the pantheon, the great pantheon of great metal bands, whether you like them or not, Metallica and Megadeth. All right, on that note, we've explained ourselves. We will do a podcast on that. We will have to do a podcast on that. We will spend a whole hour talking about why Metallica and Megadeth are not thrash once again. On that note, let's put this this great thrash fire out and wrap this thing up thank you for listening to the podcast let's go to the credits now thanks again for listening to this great playlist may it have informed you may you be a smarter person in the world of thrash and the world of metal forever to come and once again thank you for listening to the Hero lies metal podcast be sure to follow us on our many outlets of social media including twitter at Hero lies metal facebook at here lies metal instagram at metal lies here and of course contact us on gmail at here lies metal at gmail.com give me your opinions send me your hate mail send me your artificial virtual mail bombs whatever you'd like to do talk to me maledictus your great and your great scribe to everything metal and tell me about what you think about this particular episode or perhaps an episode you would like to hear about or some sort of subject in metal or a person in metal, or anything you'd like to hear about, and we will do research, and we will talk to you, because we love when people contact us at Here Lives Metal. Now, be sure to subscribe to Hero Lies Metal on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and don't forget to rate us, even if you hate us. This podcast sucks. Only you have the power to destroy it, and the great metallologist, Maledictus, who's only becoming a greater metal- metallologist every day, because today... He learned a lot about West Coast Thrash Metal as well. He learned how damn incestual this whole thing was and how great that is and how we have metal today because of this. Now, once again, it is my passion to bring you, the listener, these great tales of metal. However, if you'd like to support the show, your donations are highly appreciated. And you can do that at Patreon forward slash Here Lies Metal. Give us a quarter, give us a dollar, give us $5, give us $10, give us a zillion dollars. We will mention you on the air. And once again, people, if you wanna be here on this other microphone, I have a whole nother microphone here that you could be talking on. If you're a metal expert or if you're a metal band and you wanna be on this show, you wanna be interviewed by me, Maledictus, and see me in person here in my my office here in uh, New Jersey, um, you are welcome to come and I will buy you pizza I don't know if you might consider it the best pizza ever made. It's not going to be the Andrew W.K. pizza that I mentioned before because that's only available in Japan. However, that pizza sounds really good for Japanese pizza. We are pizza snobs at Here Lies Metal, and we only want the best pizza for you, and therefore, we will give you pizza with whatever you want on it if you come here and be on this show. Isn't that a great offer? Like, if someone offered me pizza, I mean, if it was decently close by, I think I might want to go and... um take advantage of that offer and get to say some things on the air so once again people come here and visit me at here lives metal i want all you metal experts out there to come here and be on my show we'll do this together i want some people here i want some guests at the here lives metal podcast all right so that's enough for today people we've talked a lot today i'm losing my voice so what will we do next week i don't know something maybe we'll do a historical episode not for these playlists these playlists are so hard I had written 20 pages of notes to make this episode. 20 fucking pages of notes, and I got most of it wrong. So, ugh, this is exhausting. But I do it for you. I do it to. I do it for me to keep me sane. So, all right, folks. I start a new job tomorrow, so I've got to get to sleep. Um, tis, tis what pays for the Here Lies Metal show until the Patreon picks up. Right? We all have to work our jobs. So once again, people, thank you for listening to the Here Lives Metal podcast. I once again am Maledictus, your scribe to all metal. Goodbye.